You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning all. Hello. We are thrilled this morning. We are thrilled to have a guest speaker um, coming to speak to us. So let's give him a warm round of applause. Let's invite John Bodily. Come on up. So good. John, uh, you've traveled all the way from Nottingham this morning. And um, so John is the senior associate pastor of Trent Vineyard, uh, but about to become commissioned as the new senior pastor. Yep. And you're here in Hull the week before. That's right, yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So we're excited for what you're going to say this morning. Can I pray for you, John? Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, why don't we just stretch out our hands. Yes, calm Holy Spirit. Father, we're so thankful for John, for his heart, for um, all the years, Lord. Um, We're thankful for the words he's going to speak this morning. And I pray as he pours out this morning, God, you would pour into him. Anoint him, Lord. Holy Spirit, come, anoint him with your words. God, we're hungry for what you want to say to us this morning. Our hearts are open. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill him, bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. A beautiful church, as in you lot, beautiful. Um, and obviously a beautiful building as well. And uh, my wife, Abby, sends her apologies. She's in bed poorly today. She was going to come up here because she actually studied up this way when she was training to be a teacher many moons ago. Um, and so um, she's at home with our boy and uh, my daughter's in, in youth. So I'm going to find out what that's like later. So um, I've been asked to come and sort of tag on to the topic that you guys have been focusing on recently, building up to this alpha course that you've got coming up, and this string of invitational opportunities this term. It's very exciting to hear about that at the, at the, um, in the announcements, fireworks, Christmas carols. Love it. Love getting those invites out. And I've heard that you, some of you have been praying for three friends. Is that right? Um, 1102, um, in advance of inviting them. I love that. And it reminded me, um, when I heard about it, of a few years ago, we did a similar thing at, our, at Trent, at Trent Vineyard, um, where I was overseeing uh, evangelism and Alpha course at the time. And I decided to stick my neck out and announce a numerical goal for us as a church, which was a little bit nerve-wracking because I hadn't signed it off with our pastors, John and Debbie. Um, And so I got up on the stage, and we don't tend to set numerical goals because we're about people, um, not numbers, but numbers do count. So I got up and I said, I've been praying and I've got this specific number that I would like us to consider inviting to this Alpha course, and I'm going to put this number up on the screen, and up it came. So slightly less controversial. But I asked the question, who is the one person that God is speaking to you about, about inviting along? And I really want to commend you guys because I heard that you've been invited to consider three names. So evidently, Whole Vineyard has got three times as much faith as Trent Vineyard does. But whether it's one, whether it's three, I love this idea of everybody getting involved in this and taking responsibility for this commission that Jesus gave us. Um, and it's an, it's an important thing for us to remember that. I, I heard a while ago about um, a study that had been commissioned by the Evangelical Alliance, so like a research thing. And they asked practicing Christians 
whether they agreed with this statement. Consider this statement. It is every Christian's responsibility to talk to non-Christians about Jesus. People were surveyed, they were asked this question. Who here would agree with that, with that statement? Okay, well, the response of the survey was 45% of Christians said they strongly agreed with that. Less than half. And I think it's something that actually we can clear up pretty quickly. Jesus' encouragement to the church, you can read it at the end of Mark's gospel. Jesus said, he said to them, gathered his disciples together and he said, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And he didn't just say this to the hardcore evangelism commando people who are always out there on the streets. He said it to all of his followers and he's saying it therefore to you and to me. Go, go and preach the good news. And this is perhaps why in the vineyard, it's one of the reasons why we've got this little phrase that you've probably heard before, everyone gets to play. It's an all play, it's an all in situation. Everyone gets to part of this. Whether you have been following Jesus for, for years and years or whether you've been following him for just a couple of weeks, I would say even if you're here and um, I've just seen the people up there. Hello, <laughs> I didn't notice you. <laughs> Good to see you. Um, even if you are on a journey of following Jesus, I would say the fact that you've got a story of the fact that you're on a journey, that's something that's worth sharing. And one of the things that I want to get across today is that I believe that God has a way of using each and every one of us in different ways to share our story and share in turn the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God. And so as we consider that, we're going to look at a particular story in the Bible. If you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 15. It's quite a famous story. Verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, if you read the previous chapters in Luke, you'll see that Jesus told this story, this, he, he told this parable in the midst of an ongoing conflict that he was facing with these religious authorities, the Pharisees. And um, they were always challenging and accusing Jesus. They were always seeking to like, undermine him. Um, and they were... The Pharisees, they were experts in the Jewish law. And so they were often trying to kind of like undermine Jesus by sort of like pointing out technicalities in the law to trip Jesus up. So they were like, you know, if he's such a good person, why does he eat with these unclean, sinful people? And if he's such a good person, why does he heal people on the Sabbath? That kind of stuff. They kept on trying to trip him up with these like lawyer questions. But so often in in reply, Jesus would respond to their lawyer questions with Jesus' answers, which invariably were stories. And invariably, there were stories that really got to the heart of the matter. So when he was asked this question, who technically is my neighbor, he told them a story about um, a victim of a brutal mugging who was rescued by the most unlikely um, savior, a Samaritan. 
When he was asked how far do you have to go in forgiving people, he told a story about a king who cancelled the most incredible debts. And here, when he was challenged about associating with sinners, he told them a story about a shepherd and a lost sheep. And this story, I mean, a lot of his stories, he would use these like familiar, um, mod- contemporary examples, familiar images. And this is one of the images. The, the image that he used here is a familiar one. To the, to the audience, especially as these teachers of law, they would have recognized that in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, um, a persistent analogy that, that was used to describe God's people was that of um, sheep. And particularly when they were wandering away from God, they were described as lost sheep. So here's one example um, in Jeremiah, earlier in the scriptures, it says, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. So this was kind of a familiar image that Jesus is like tapping into. He was using a picture that they, he knew they would get. And he wanted to understand that the sinners and the immoral people and the outsiders, the people who they thought you you should stay away from, he wanted them to understand that in God's eyes, they were like God's precious lost sheep that that he longed to see them wander back home. He longed in his heart for the return of every single one of them. Now, of course, the Pharisees in the story, they they didn't get this. Um, I think they viewed God as the kind of shepherd who would say, well, if you're stupid enough to get lost, you should find your own way back. They thought it was all about working and striving to find our way to God by sticking to the rules. They weren't expecting a God who so loved his children that he would come after them. Like that song we just sang, when we were still far off, you came running after me. A God who would come running after them, even if they'd intentionally run away. And I think that's why they never really got Jesus. They didn't see it. But I think it's something that God longs for us to see today. How much he cares about, yes, us, but how much he cares about the people who aren't in this room this morning. You know, week in, week out, it's wonderful that so many of you gather here. This church is buzzing. You can just tell. There's momentum, there's energy, and there's more and more people coming every Sunday. Fantastic stuff. But the thing that stirs a celebration in heaven, the thing that God's heart longs for more than any other, we read it in this story, is that moment when somebody walks into the kingdom of God for the first time. That moment when... One of those lost sheep comes wandering through those doors for the first time at the back, looking around and going, meh, because they look a bit lost. That's what stirs God's heart. So I've got two really simple points that I want to sort of like draw out from this passage in relation to this. So the first one is this. Going after the lost is a no-brainer, okay? And what I mean by that is that In this parable, it seems to suggest that this this business of just getting out there, Jesus seems to be suggesting it's just just what you you do. He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the sheep until he finds it? It's, it's, It's an example of a rhetorical question, a question where the answer is so obvious it doesn't need adding. And I don't know um, what you think about this. You know, you might have read this many times before. But I personally don't have much experience of being a shepherd, much less an ancient uh, Palestinian one. But when I read these words, 
I sometimes think, like, I've, I've thought in the past, I don't know, actually, whether that seems like kind of like a slightly risky shepherding strategy. Has anyone ever thought that? Because what happens if you go off after the one, and then you come back, and you've got it, you're like, great, and then the 99 have just, like, been eaten by the wolves or whatever. Has anybody, has that ever thought? Yeah, weird. Anyway, so I read some like commentaries and things a while ago to try and figure out what was Jesus really you know, saying. And some suggest that Jesus was being sort of intentionally, humorously ironic here. But a lot of them seem to agree that you know, because the audience at the time would have had a particular awareness of how shepherds worked, um, and in particular they would have had an understanding that there probably would have been other shepherds there working in partnership, maybe over other flocks, a bit like you know, the shepherds that were working together in the nativity story. Um, the, 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 the suggestion is, and the implication is, that this shepherd would have been you know, able to leave the 99 safely with his partners, with his companions, and go off after this one, knowing that they were okay in search of this lost, valuable asset. Now, that isn't necessarily, that isn't explicitly there in the text, but when I read that, I thought, yeah, that does make sense to me. And it may help to explain why Jesus clearly reaches this conclusion. Look, it's a no-brainer. If a sheep is lost, you go after it. And so perhaps a more sort of modern, contemporary rendition of this parable that we would perhaps more understand more immediately would be, um, which of you teachers, if you're on a school trip and you lose a child, does not put the rest of the kids on the coach with the teaching assistants and go scour the gift shop until you find that lost kid. You don't get a teacher coming back and going, 29 out of 30, not bad, do you? That would be crazy. You go after the one. It's your job. It's a no-brainer. But the funny thing is the Christians... So often it's not what we do, is it? We all have lost sheep in our lives, don't we? And when, you know, when you've been asked to consider, you know the lost sheep in your lives. Maybe you can think of one, maybe you can think of loads, but the reality is that most of the time, many of us, we behave like the kind of shepherds who passively sit there and go, oh, they'll be all right. They'll find their way back. Or perhaps we come to church on a Sunday morning and we go, well, look, there's 99 in the fold, there's loads of us. We're doing a great job. The same um, Evangelicals Alliance study that I mentioned a minute ago, it also revealed that this this is crazy. More than half of non-Christians who have a Christian friend have never had a conversation with them about Jesus. And apparently, if it goes up into the next into a higher age bracket of 45 to 50 year old, 45 to 54 year olds, that statistic jumps to two-thirds. I believe that God says. That's crazy. You go after those lost sheep. That's what I believe he says. Raise the alarm. Start the search. It reminds me of um, a few Christmases ago. We had a a staff party at church, um, which was awesome. Everybody was in fancy dress. Um, I've never seen people who are so sober party so hard. Brilliant. But partway through the evening, um, this lady who worked on our staff team, Becky, she lost one of her earrings. And she confided um, in a friend that this um, earring actually belonged to her grandmother. It was really precious to her. And she was, you know, troubled by losing it. And the floor was just like covered in debris. We'd been playing party games. There's balloons, all sorts of things. And so she just couldn't find this earring. Now, in that room, there were plenty of 
unlost earrings. In fact, there was a perfectly good unlost earring on Becky's other ear. But in that moment, as the news spread around, everybody understood that those unlost ones don't matter right now. The earring that matters is the lost one. And the party stopped. The stereo got turned off. Everybody was on their hands and knees, got, got their phone torches out, searching. And we searched and searched. And eventually, we kind of like given up hope. And Becky was like, look, it's okay. Let's just carry on with the party. And then at the last moment, the most eagle-eyed member of staff, our finance manager, obviously, <laughs> plucked this thing from the floor. And there was... Can you imagine how much rejoicing there was? Because we'd found the lost earring. And I loved the way that the moment that the alarm was raised, everybody understood. With this urgency, the one that matters is the one that's lost. And that's my hope and my prayer. As I was driving up the road today, I want to raise the alarm. There are people in our lives who are lost. And I want to ask you, as Jesus did, which of you, if he has a friend who is lost and does not know the Lord, will depart from a moment from their Christian friends safe in the flock and go after them and pursue them and bring them home? Because when you say it like that, it is a no-brainer, isn't it? And that's my first point. My second point, and forgive me, because again, it kind of might sound obvious, is this, what they need is bringing home. What the sheep in the story needed was bringing home. And I think one of the big challenges that we face when we try and share the gospel is that we're doing something that, culturally speaking, is a little bit impolite, if not offensive. Because effectively, what we're saying to people is, I know what you need in your life. That's the reason why sometimes it's a bit awkward to send that text to say, do you want to come to Alpha? Because there's a sort of a subtext, isn't there? It's like, I think this would be good for you. I remember, um, and, and you can see why people would find that patronising. I remember personally finding it patronising myself. When I, um, I grew up in Catholic church, and then in my teenage years, whole story to it, really. But I, by the time I got to, to sort of like young adulthood, I'd walked away from it all. And I remember going, to off, to, going off to university um, and discovering on the first um, week that I'd been put in a hall residence that was all men, which was disastrous, um, and then learning to my utter horror, worst of all, that my roommate was one of these overbearing, charismatic Christians. And he had, do you remember the WWJD bracelets? <laughs> he had that. He had the lot. And he came up to me. This is the first night of university. He came up to me and he said, he's like fierce. He said, don't think for a moment that I haven't been put next to you to help you find your way to God. And I was like, oh no, it's going to be such a long year. He was overbearing. He was annoying. He was 100% right. Of course he was. The Lord has sent him into my, he's one of my closest friends today. And through his example and through his tenacity, he slowly ground me down. I hate it when people tell me what I need or what I should do or suggest that I'm doing something wrong, or that I'm going the wrong way. You know, and so that's why this invitation, when he first started, didn't go down with, well with me. But we have to push through it. When we, when we talk to people about Jesus, and we talk to people about the, God, the gospel of, of, of Jesus, 
Yes, we are subtly implying that they're lost without him. And yes, that may feel a little bit awkward and uncomfortable. And we don't have to be overbearing and irritating as we do, like my friend was. But the thing is, they are lost. Some people are great at hiding the fact that they're lost. They look like they know exactly where they're going. Like, you know, like a guy who's driving along refusing to take directions when he's blatantly lost. Sure, none of us have been there. They may look like they feel pretty happy, the friends and family and possessions and a job. They may appear to have conviction and purpose in life. They may have their directions and their life goals mapped out. They look anything but lost, but without Jesus, they are. It's just how it is. Without Jesus, all of us, we're lost, lost, lost. And what's more, we're actually in peril on the hillside like sheep. And I believe that deep down, even if it's subconsciously, people know this. There is a longing in every human heart for home. What they need is bringing home. And I think this story tells us about that moment when the shepherd decides to act on that conviction and switches from the passive posture of just watching the sheep on the hillside to actively pursuing the lost. And as I reflect on my life, I realise that That's challenging to me because so often in my life, the default is to remain passive. When I encounter a sheep that's lost in my life, and as they bleat at me to tell me actually they're not lost, um, and actually they know where they're going, you know, I think often this sort of groundswell of British politeness kicks in, and I'm like, okay, great. I don't want to be, you know, too pushy. And as I say, it's not about being, like, you know, overbearing, but there is this sort of perilous state that people are in if they don't know Jesus. And so there's this slightly tragic circumstance where we collectively know what they need. We know the way home. This book has um, all the directions that anyone could ever need. You know, take, for example, passage in, in Romans, chapter 10. It says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. These are the directions home. This is what everybody needs. If we really believe that's true, then surely it's imperative that we share it, isn't it? Surely. Once we've come into contact with with this truth, once we've got this stuff inside of us, once we've encountered Jesus once we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we can't simply pretend that hasn't happened. We can't pretend that nothing has changed. I remember um, a few years ago, we lived on this, um, in quite a deprived area, on this um, street of council houses, big long street of council houses. And the guy living opposite us won £45 million on the lottery. And um, we'd invited him to a street barbecue, actually, a few weeks before. So I was kind of a bit snubbed that he didn't give us 100 grand for being nice neighbours or something. <laughs> but whatever. Anyway, the funny thing was he, that we noticed was that he, when he won, he had this mansion built on the other side of town. But he bought the council house that he had been living in. And he gave it to his best mate. And we noticed that he, he used to spend most of his days just in that house with his best mate, playing Xbox. And it was crazy because he had all of this treasure, this wealth at his disposal. He'd won the lottery. Yet in many ways, his life just continued to look 
exactly as it had before. There was, in many ways, you couldn't really tell that he was this millionaire. He just played Xbox. I mean, there was an Aston Martin parked outside, but that doesn't really help my illustration. I think that's a picture sometimes of how we, as Christians, behave when we come to follow Jesus. Because when we come to faith, it's like winning the lottery in a spiritual sense. I mean, listen to this. this is in, in 1 Peter, it says, Praise be to God the Father and, our Lord Jesus, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us, and listen to this, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. I mean, that's some seriously cool stuff, isn't it? New life. Forgiveness, redemption, a way home for the lost, an inheritance that's imperishable. When we choose to follow Jesus, we receive all of this stuff, but in some ways, sometimes, and I'm, you know, this is true of me, we go on living, playing Xbox in a council house, pretending that none of this stuff's happened or as though it hasn't. We overlook the opportunity that we have to share this treasure with the world with as many people as we like. And we know it's what they need. You know, we look into our culture, you know, into our, the streets where we live, the places where we work. Everywhere around us, there are people who are looking for meaning in their life, looking for a purpose, for a job that's rewarding, for relationships that are real. We're surrounded by people who are, you know, insecure, wounded, jealous, failing to understand what their identity is, a society that's just broken in a hundred different ways. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we get the joy and we get the privilege of helping them find all of these things. You know, by the way, I've been saying to a lot, I've been kind of assuming most of the people in this room are Christians and following Jesus. I'm aware there'll be people in this room who, who aren't, who are on a journey at the moment. And I would say to you, if, if that's you, if you're here and you're exploring faith, Stay, please, I'd encourage you to stay on that journey um, because these people, they can help you find all of those things in Jesus, real relationships in his body, the church, a generous, loving community. They can help you find a purpose that's worth living and dying for, a cause, meaning, adventure, a cause to live for. And the things that every human heart is longing for, a way home, a way home to God. And so, whether it's one, or whether it's three, or whether it's more, this question, who is the person in your life that needs bringing home, I think is one of the most important questions that you could possibly ask. And I realized that, um, you know, inviting somebody to an alpha course isn't the perfect solution for every person, but it's a start. According to the research group Barna, a personal invite from a friend remains by far uh, the most fruitful way of helping somebody start a, their journey to faith. Um, you know, in church, we often, we love the, the dramatic stories of people coming to faith, don't we? Like the sort of like the impossible coincidences where people have these sort of like miraculous, eye-opening moments. But I think what I've seen in my life and through being involved in churches for decades now is that the vast majority of people find Jesus and find faith through friends and family ordinary, natural, everyday, but no less miraculous stories. And where the unsung heroes of those stories 
are these doggedly determined shepherds who just won't give up, who just don't stop loving, don't stop praying, don't stop inviting their friends and their loved ones until they come home. You don't want to come to Alphas? Fine, come to, the, come to the bonfire thing. I can't make the bonfire thing. There's a Christmas thing coming up. Just keep on going. As I mentioned, a significant moment in my journey was when I arrived at uni and God sent a particularly zealous shepherd into my life to bring me home. And as I got to know this guy, I began to secretly admire his lifestyle and his faith. I began to realize that deep down, my heart was longing to discover what he had. I, remember, I vividly remember this one time where we were studying for an exam together because we did the same course. And um, we were going to flunk this exam. It was too hard. And it was a Sunday night, and I'd found some past papers that I thought could be helpful, and we were studying them together. And it got to about 6 o'clock, and he just put his books down, and he went, right, see you then. I'm off to church. And I was like, you're going to church now? That's crazy. What an idiot. And he went off, and I was like, man, he's going to completely fail this exam. I'm probably going to be all right, because I, you know... Anyway, I carried on revising, and um, through the evening, I just got more and more stressed about this exam, and I got more and more confused, and by, you know, sort of 10 o'clock, I was, in, I was all over the place. And I remember he came back, and there was just this peace about him. He just, he was just beaming. He was like, glow- I mean, he wasn't literally glowing, but you know what I mean? And I was like, he's made the right decision, hasn't he? He's flipping made the right decision. And I thought, maybe there's something in this. But... I was a stubborn sheep. I was the type of annoying sheep who kept wandering off. And other shepherds had to be roped in. And over a few years, this guy Paul and another friend Al and Hannah and Tim, they came alongside me. They didn't judge me when I had hangovers. They didn't patronize me when I spouted my ignorant opinions. They didn't tell me what to do when I made just obviously stupid decisions in my life but they did know what I needed, and they didn't give up. And I could eventually see that their care for me was real. I stubbornly circled around and around the sheep pen before, I don't remember exactly when it happened, but one day I looked around and realized, I'm in, I'm home, and I'm safe. And I'm so grateful that they kept going, because otherwise, I might still be on the mountainside today. God brought me home but he used those shepherds to get me there. And so I want to encourage you, as you think about the people in your life, don't be discouraged if it takes time. Go after your lost sheep. Take action, because it's a no-brainer, because it's what they really need, and because God has put you in their life to be their shepherd. I was thinking... You know, um, it's about 50 generations between Jesus and us, something like that. And uh, I've often thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun in heaven to track down all the people between me and Jesus that pass the message of the gospel down and say thank you to them? Because the truth is, between now and when Jesus returns, the destiny of every generation is dependent on the willingness of the generation before to take that shepherd's crook and go after the lost. And right now, we are the generation that have the crook in our hands. And Jesus says, go.
Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon. Thank you.